Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hub City Homers, episode 17, the basketball primer. We are finally at the doorstep of a new season. As of recording this, we are almost essentially exactly a week out. Uh, we A week and maybe a, a few minutes, give or take. So we are looking ahead to the basketball season during this bye week. We have a great season ahead of us. Mark Adams will make his much-anticipated debut as a head coach, as will a whole host of transfers. The transfers being a key theme to the everybody's season. So you'll see all kinds of new faces across the country. It's going to be a really unique season and one that hopefully has a lot of parity, a lot of fun. We're going to start out at the national level just because we're going to work our way in. So for those of you who like to jump around and listen to just tech analysis or just Big 12 analysis, we're going to start looking nationally. Then we're going to shrink to the Big 12, and then we'll finish our episode with the longest section, which will be breaking down the Texas Tech basketball team. So we're going to start at the top, which is the national scene. With the national scene, I don't necessarily like preseason rankings too much. So we're going to keep this to a more high-level theme, which is the question of the transfers and their impact on college basketball. And I was trying to decide how you how I wanted to frame this question to everybody. Because on the one hand, most takes on this are not very nuanced. People are either wholesale against transfers or they think they're the best thing since sliced bread. And it just seems kind of boring to ask, generally speaking, well, are transfers good or bad? So instead, what I'm going to ask is a simpler question, but one that I think can get you a little bit more um, nuanced without falling into one or two definitive camps. And that question becomes, if you are, you know, a major high school prospect just outside the five-star range. So, you know, one of those guys who's like, 50 to 150 on the ESPN 500. These are four-star guys. You know, they're, they're, they're big deals, but not necessarily the biggest deal that drives all the attention. So the question is, if you're one of those guys, does it make more sense to go to a program where minutes may be scarce, i.e. Kansas, Gonzaga, Duke, North Carolina, um, Michigan State, and any of these pro- big-time programs where they've got you know deep rosters almost every year, Minutes may be sparse for somebody who's not a true five-star, but you're already there and you're the heir apparent. Or does it make more sense for those guys to go play a year at the group of five level or the group of six level in basketball, as it were? You know, which path, if you're trying to evaluate the future of where these transfers are, where these guys are going to come from, does the transfer avenue make it more likely that higher level talent decides to stay and what will more or less should be known as a feeder system for the power five, or will they continue to just be willing to go and 
you know, play a year at Michigan State, and if they don't get their minutes, they're out the door. So I'm going to open that one first up to Reed, who is back with us. We are at full strength for our basketball talk tonight. Reed, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, glad to be back, man. It's been a while since I've been on. Uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, just the f- I almost want to say free agent market, the way it's turned into, uh, though I think guys would be, would have a better um, better traction under him to go to a group of five. I don't really think they're going to think, oh, I'm going to go to this place for a year, then tr- then kind of transfer up. Um, they're going to think they're they're better than what's at that team or just as good, uh, good enough to play right out of the gate. And as you can see with a lot of schools, that's not really apparent anymore except for some of those blue chip programs that that almost kind of thrive off of fr- five freshmen leading the team every year. Uh, every year, and then they just kind of roll out within one to two years, whether they're transferring or uh, going to the NBA, uh, if, they, if they are good enough for that that soon. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a weird market right now. I think, honestly, uh, it's helped Tech out quite a bit, to say the least. I mean, without a transfer market that we have now, we wouldn't have gone to the national championship and almost uh, cut down the nets on Monday night. Uh, but at the same time, we've lost some big names to the, the portal, uh, probably rightfully because of the coaching change, but um, I think it makes college basketball a lot more interesting, though, to say the least. I will circle around now to Jack because we're kind of in our, our, our little grid, which you guys can't see, but I can. So, Jack, I'm going to ask you the same question. You know, when you're looking at the at the what well, as Reed described, what has basically become a free agency? Do you see players being more inclined to want to get? more minutes at lower programs on the chance that they can move up? Or do you see a lot of these players saying, I'm just going to go right in to the top and battle it out. And if I can't get those minutes, I'm transferring down, you know, which way do you think this direction goes long-term? I think, uh, well, first I want to say, welcome back to Reed. Uh, it's good to have him back. Uh, and I do agree with him on this. I think a lot more guys are, um, you know, willing to start out at a group of five and kind of just ball out at a group of five before making your transfer up to the power five ranks. Um, there's not very many exceptions to this really right now. Um, I think one that you can look at where, so for people that don't know, that don't follow basketball really outside the big 12, there are tiers within conferences. The big 12 is not really like this because anyone can win on any given night in the big 12. But in other conferences, there are tiers of teams. Obviously, you have your top tiers, your middle tiers, your bottom tiers. So I could also see someone, and I'll use an example for this coming season, uh, Remy Martin. Remy Martin was, I think, right on the cusp. He was a high three-star or a low four-star, if I'm not mistaken, coming out of high school. Uh, He went to Arizona State, which at the time was kind of like a lower tier or kind of in a rebuild in the Pac-12. And balled out for two or three years. And now for his senior year, he's transferring to Kansas. So there's always an exception of what happens. And it, and I think that's a really good example of it. But for the most part, I think your guy, your standard uh, transfer guys are going to look to go to a group of five or something like that to where they're going to get their minutes to prove their athleticism and their talent. Uh, you know, especially you look through our roster here in Lubbock now uh, you don't really have that many uh, people transferring from high, you know, high prospect schools or upper tier schools, power five schools. 
Uh, I mean, you have Sadar Calhoun from Florida State. That's pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much it. So um, I liked what Reed said about the fact that transfers have played a big key in this program and the fact that you don't get to the national championship without transfers. And I think one of the biggest transfers that helped us do that and coming off the bench was Brandon Francis and uh, Brandon Francis transferred from Florida. And obviously, I mean, that's a power five school in the sec. So uh, like I said, it's kind of toss up depending on what you want to do. I kind of think Brandon Francis recruitment was a little different than everyone's considering he was from the Dominican and everything. So um, I think it's a little different for him, but like you said, you have people like Remy Martin who, went to kind of like a lower tier power five school and then was able to play up into Kansas, which is a blue blood. So uh, I think it kind of depends on your, if you're willing to bet on yourself, honestly. And uh, for him, it's absolutely paying off. Kendall, I'm going to ask you a slightly different version of that question. Um, and the, the, the way I want to phrase it for you to, to take, since we've had, Reed and Jack's takes on this is more along the lines of it. Now let's look at this from the, 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 the concept of players who don't necessarily have options out of high school. Um, you know, the, 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 we're, we're talking now about guys who are not, you know, they're not going to get any press when they commit and they were guaranteed to be going to the group of five group of six, you know, maybe, maybe even towards the bottom of those, of those conference levels. Um, you know, for those guys, does it pose some risk to them that uh, these 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 better players could start coming down, looking for minutes and game tape to try to get bouncing around? Um, do, do do you think that this poses any risk to the potential for some of these you know three four year development projects at Air Force or? Uh, uh, UNLV, some of these guys who are going to be there long-term, does it pose a risk to them if players are able to say, well, Florida State's not working out. I need some game tape if I'm going to have any chance to go pro. So let me take a quick hop down to, you know, Louisiana Lafayette, for instance. You know, I think that it can impact it, but not completely. Because these past couple years transfers have become more and more common in college basketball but we're still seeing a lot of guys that have been at these mid-majors for three four years even just as close as last year you know Jason Preston at Ohio uh, Bones Highland at VCU all of them built their draft stock up from the bottom of their respective colleges and there's going to be a little bit of pushback now with these new transfers But at the same time, I think a lot of guys who have been there at their program for years sometimes will get the nod over some other transfers that come in, especially if they come in later in the offseason and don't really have an opportunity to get, like, accustomed with the team. But overall, I think that it kind of just we have to see how it plays out because we will see a lot this year. There was a lot of Power 5 guys that transferred down and a lot of smaller college guys that transferred up. So we're going to see what happens with that. But like uh, Jack talked about with Remy Martin, uh, from my neck of the woods over here in Iowa, they had a guard, C.J. Frederick, transfer. He transferred over to Kentucky, 
So I think that's also another aspect of, you know, these five-star transfers that are going to these bigger schools or these other four-stars are having even more competition now that proven players from uh, other schools are coming in to try to build their draft prospect at these bigger schools. So I think it goes kind of both ways on who's impacted by it. The reason why I like to think about this more moving the other way is because we, I think people get fixated on the concept of, of these three, these guys moving up, uh, you know, four years into the development uh, tech being, being a, a perfect example of where this has happened a lot, you know, kind of the typical model uh, of transfers in college basketball. And while I, I want to think about it going the other way is because you do have to wonder now that there is such an emphasis placed on, you know, just getting tape of yourself out there to have a chance to move up. If you start to see higher ranked recruits say sitting is just terrible. You know, I don't want to sit on the bench for a single minute. You know, I'm not going to start at Kentucky. You know, I'm, I'm the four star out of a class of five stars. So I'm not going to start at Kentucky, but where I would start is a program like, uh, uh, you know, a program like, um, Oh shoot. And, and na- name like a middle tier or uh, an upper tier mid-major like New Mexico State or Nevada. You know, when it, would those guys start saying instead of saying screw it, I'm going to transfer later, you know, are they going to go start lower because they know that offers them a really good path to getting the minutes and the tape they need to look up. And I think that's just going to have an interesting aspect, an interesting impact on the future of college re- recruiting. Because I think more and more often you're going to see, uh, uh, you know, three or four star guys who would go and sit on the bench at Power Five programs decide that instead they're going to go play at the Group of Five because there's just more windows for playing time, and that's all that matters. Because here, here's reality: more and more coaches are accepting the fact that transfers are just the future, so they're going to put a transfer over any kid out of high school, you know, eight times out of ten. There are like. 15 high school athletes a year who are going to be able to say definitively they are better than the best transfers. That that's where we're going because the best transfers have been in college weight programs. They've been coached up. They're just more well-rounded players for the college game because the top half of the high school recruiting classes, besides the fact that they, while being extremely talented, they tend to be scrawny. They tend to not necessarily be well-conditioned. They tend not to be used to being very physically overmatched against bigger, stronger, faster guys. And there is risk inherent in those guys not necessarily developing fast enough. Where if I'm, you know, Mark Adams, for instance, yeah, you want that number one overall guy, but when you're not in competition for him and you're looking more at the number 20, number 30 guy, the 20, 30 kid out of high school is not better than Kevin O'Banner, right? You know, that that's what I'm talking about. So does that kid decide, you know, if I'm not better than that transfer, let me go get a year at a lower tier. You know, let me go to an HBCU. That that could be a trend you see. Go play there for a year, then go pro or transfer up. Um, and that I think that's an, an area of this that doesn't get talked about enough just because it's really easy to focus on the, well, what if they just kind of become like a farm system? Yeah, that's probably coming. But I think that you will see at least to some degree kids drop down to the group of five earlier because they need the minutes. They need the tape. They're competing against transfers. They need college tape to convince coaches that they should deserve a starting spot. I think high school recruiting is being devalued, and that may be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. We'll we'll find out 
as these amateur professional leagues around the NCAA start to build out their, their proof of concept. So that's all the time I want to spend on the national stage. Like I said, I'm not a fan of preseason rankings and any conjecture about the best teams at this point across the nation just isn't super beneficial to me. I'm more interested in what's going to hit closer to home if we're talking rankings. So we're going to look at the Big 12 now. And we're going to start with a pretty easy question. Well, not easy, but of all the Big 12 teams that have the best chance besides Tech to end up in the top three, who's going to get it done? Who actually, or a better way to phrase that, because um, let's, let's not overcomplicate the wording, um, which team is the most likely besides Tech to make a run into the top three? And I'm going to reverse the order this time. Or Kendall, that question's going to you first. Uh, I don't know. As much as I really hate to say it, uh, Co- or Beard over at Texas, they have a lot of talent over there. And I think strictly based off talent, Texas and Kansas are at the very top of the Big 12. It's just a matter of just like with – over half the teams in the Big 12 is can their transfers, you know, play together. Kansas has uh, Remy Martin and Joseph Yesifu from Drake coming in that are going to make big impacts early, and I think that Yesifu is going to be one of the better players off the bench in the Big 12. So I think that the depth that both those two teams have is going to kind of make them very hard to beat. But I also think Baylor is going to be right there again this year. Uh, they just reloaded. And as long as they have their defense, they're going to be right there in every single game they play. Um, but other than that, I think that a lot of the rest of the Big 12 is kind of – you don't really know what to expect out of any of them because I feel like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, and even – Kansas State, I could see all of, and West Virginia, I could see all of them at the bottom of the Big 12, or I can see them competing for a top four spot and making runs in the tournament. So I think it's just a lot that we have to see play out and see how a lot of these transfers play together before we can really make any judgments on that. Jack, I'll go to you next. And the same exact question. You're looking at the Big 12 other than Texas Tech, who out of the, you know, that that next run down from the favorites can really make a run towards the top three? Um, well, I mean, going by the preseason poll, which I also am not a fan of, uh, I, I don't really know if they're considered like a lower tier, um, but I don't think you can really ever count out a West Virginia team that's coached by Bob Huggins. Uh, his teams are always nasty on defense and it's just super, it's super hard to play them anywhere, especially in Morgantown, which I mean, for some reason tech tech has gotten lucky out there a couple times, I think possibly, but you know, they always give us fits and they're always down and dirty kind of like tech likes to play on defense. So it's almost kind of like looking at yourself in the mirror and um, that's, they're always a tough team. The other team that I'm, I'm not really going to say they they could possibly make a run, but I'm just interested as to how their season's going to end up is Oklahoma. After, after your head, after long Kruger retires and uh, 
manic transfers and stuff. So uh, I'm just kind of interested to see how they're going to look and how they kind of respond because they're kind of sort of other. We didn't lose our best player really uh, to transfer, but you know we also lost our coach and stuff. So I'm kind of interested to see what how their season shakes up just because uh, I'm interested. Um, I'd never count out Oklahoma State either just because Mike Boyden always has his teams get up for certain games. And I I mean, he got Cade Cunningham in there somehow. So uh, I think that's a different conversation for a different time. But um, the that lower tier, I just really don't see anyone making a run. Uh, I think Iowa State's probably going to be pretty bad again. Uh, they got rid of Steve Prohm, which I think was a mistake, but they did. Um, TCU is probably not going to be good. I think Micah Peavy will probably be their best player, which is scary for them. Um, Kansas State also, I hope, I mean, I, I would like to see some, uh, you know, competition from those teams, but I just don't really think it's going to happen. Um, I think your your top teams are, Probably going to be your, you know, your Baylor's, your Kansas, Texas, uh, West Virginia. I just kind of hey. wanted to jump in. Oh, there sorry. Go ahead, quick. Brent Kendall. Oh, uh, just about OU. Uh, I kind of wanted to say something. I think that them getting Porter Moser was the best possible move that they could have made this offseason. I think maybe not necessarily this year, but once he can start recruiting a little bit and getting some of his recruits in there, I think OU could be a very dangerous team as long as he's there because Moser has done a lot with very little over at uh, Loyola. So I think that him and even this year getting those two Groves twins from uh, Eastern Washington, I, I think OU could shock a lot of teams this year. Reed, you're up now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this question as it is because I think this is a pretty interesting one. Next tier of the Big 12 teams outside of your your true favorites, who has the most chance to make a run? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with uh, with Kendall here. I think uh, OU is going to become kind of a dark horse in the Big 12 this year. Um, I wouldn't say that people think they're going to be terrible, but I don't think they expect a whole lot out of them uh, nationally-wise. Um, I, I do think they'll, they'll probably finish somewhere somewhere near Tech in the rankings. Uh, I think I think Tech's going to be somewhat middle of the pack, maybe a little up up towards the top. Um, I think the Big Twelve is going to be a lot more top heavy this year than it has been in the past, you know, four to five years. Uh, there's going to be four to five really solid teams, and then I think there's going to be somewhat of a, I wouldn't say drastic drop off, but there's going to be a noticeable one uh, between five to six and seven. Um, but yeah, definitely, I definitely think OU. I don't really know. Uh, player-wise, who they have returning uh, or who they even got necessarily. But I do like Porn Moser quite a bit. Um, he, he did do quite a bit at Loyola. and I mean, you don't really see Loyola being a huge basketball school or athletic school in general. And he, he had really put them on the map the last uh, five years or so. So uh, if he's able to do anything close to what he did there, I think he's going to have a pretty successful tenure at OU with the amount of money and uh, – in a venue and space and national outlook they're going to get just because their name's Oklahoma. For me, looking at this, I think that if you take 
I'll, I'll use how Jack kind of phrases. If you take the preseason poll as being the best way of knowing who's considered a favorite where, um, I think West Virginia is probably the team that has the best potential outside of tech, uh, being the caveat to this, of really breaking into the top three. And the reason why I say West Virginia is because the Big 12 experienced a tremendous amount of coaching turnover over the last two years, especially this last offseason. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of programs who are breaking in new coaches. There's also a lot of programs who are, their coaches are on their last legs. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're guys that we could see a new coach at TCU after the season. We could see a new coach at Kansas State after the season. And I think that you look at a program like West Virginia, which has struggled more so than they ever have in the last couple seasons of Bob Huggins, but they have the best, most established coach, probably not named Bill Self. You know, the, 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 he is, you know, as set in his ways and as good of a coach as anybody in the country. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. And when you're looking at that next group of teams, you just see some really, really bad teams. Um, and then really West Virginia. Um, Oklahoma State and Tech being just ahead of them in the poll. And most importantly, since I'm taking Tech out of the conversation, why I think West Virginia has a chance over Oklahoma State is I, I don't trust Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State. I mean, th- there are few players in college basketball who can single-handedly you know, carry you through a season like Cade Cunningham. And when you get one of them, you do everything possible, making sure your team is just good enough around him, just well enough organized around him, that they don't hold him back. And I was not impressed by what he did with Kate Cunningham. I felt like um, when you have like a generational type of prospect, you should be expected to do a lot better than Oklahoma State did. Now, it was a weird year with COVID, all that, but I, I haven't been impressed by him. I think he sold himself through, you know, nothing. It's not like he's, I'm not trying to say that he, he self aggrandizes. I just mean he sold people on the vision he's preached for years. And I'm not saying, you know, Oklahoma state's not slowly improving, but we're, you know, a few years in now and you just had the best player who will ever play basketball for Oklahoma state. And I, I'm not impressed. So I think Bob Huggins just is a better coach. And then I think it's been mentioned by a couple people now, but you know TCU, Kansas State, and Iowa State just aren't going to be good. Um, I just don't see them having a chance to seriously compete, which leaves Oklahoma. And once again, just Bob Huggins is such an established coach. I think he's just better. He can better position West Virginia over the Sooners. Um, we're going to pivot now. We're going to we're going to well, before before we pivot. I'd like to uh, I'd like to uh, admit fault here. I was looking at the wrong preseason poll when I answered this question, but my answer still stays the same. Uh, I was looking at the 2021 preseason poll, not the 21, 22, but my answer is still the same. Uh, regardless, I, I think that those two T te- or those three teams are kind of at the bottom. And I think as, as it says in the poll, you know, I think West Virginia and Oklahoma state are going to be right on our tail when it comes to uh, what the big 12 looks like. No worries. I, 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 it took me like three times of Googling not to bring up like 2021 poll information when I was prepping for this. So, you know, I'm, I'm people need to decide on a naming convention. It's either the 22 season or the 21 season. I'm tired of this like 21, 22 stuff confuses me every single year. So I, I I can fully understand where you're coming from, but uh, we are going to pivot now to Texas tech. And I think that this is a pretty good transition point. 
Um, this episode may run past an hour. We're just going to see how the analysis comes and goes. It may be shorter. It just we're going to say what needs to be said about this basketball team and take our time doing so. And um, for this question, um, the first one I think on everybody's mind when you're looking at Texas Tech is, you know, the the, the biggest question is can was this the house that Beard built and he, was he just the program? Or can somebody else step in? But to that end, you're looking at the coaching staff Mark Adams has acquired around him because it's not just all on the head coach. His assistants do matter, especially in recruiting. I guess my first question is just whoever wants to take it first. What? How would you assess the staff You know, Adams has built in his first year to try and compete in the Big 12 right away? Uh, I'll take this one. Uh, I think that... He did the best he possibly could in the time frame that everything happened. Because, like, from when Beard left to turning around and a couple days later getting hired, and then, but that was already like kind of, it's almost like he was a little behind on getting his assistant coaches. But what he got out of it was he got some phenomenal recruiters. Uh, I think it's Corey Williams from over at Arkansas. That was a huge get to the staff. I think that that was possibly the best addition in my mind just because I've seen what he did over at Arkansas, getting guys like Moses Moody in there that possibly or most likely wouldn't have went to Arkansas with if it wasn't for him and Musk being over there. And, you know, we've seen a lot of Big 12 coaches and programs or even nationally just coaches leave like – my best example would be Hoiberg over at Iowa State when he left. You know, Iowa State slowly just went down recently. And I think we're really going to see, you know, if, like you said, if Beard was the program or if multiple people can win at Texas Tech and we can actually build like a program, a, like just a culture that lasts and – this will be a big step because we really haven't really seen the opportunity like this because, you know, back when night was here, like it went to a sweet 16, but there really wasn't any footing there. Like now we've been to a final four, we've been to a national championship. Can we stay at that level where we're competing and going to the tournament yearly and being at the top of the big 12 yearly, even if that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, being in the final four, you know, super often but just like being a competitive program year in and year out but I think he got the best possible staff to you know take a step forward in doing that Tim what I what I think about when I look at you know what makes a good basketball staff the first thing I look at is did you hire guys who can recruit because I think just it is the game. Even even though we're talking about you know now you got to recruit transfers too. The game is always going to be can you get the best guys to believe in your program. So you look at guys that he went out and got to try to help him with this. You know we talked to Adonis Arms, Kendall and I did, who said pretty frankly that Barrett Peary coming here is a big reason he came here. Besides the fact that he mentioned Mark Adams, by the way, is awesome at connecting with families and did a great job recruiting. But he made a point of saying. His relationship with Barrett Peary was a big reason he ended up at Tech. Peary's a solid recruiter. Corey Williams is, was the underrated, I think, hire of, of, of the year. Um, it didn't get a ton of attention outside of Tech and Arkansas, 
but he was a big part of what Arkansas did from a recruiting mission standpoint. He's brought on. He's an ace recruiter, and you can see the staff. You can see the roster tech's built. You know, you don't get this many high-level transfers to commit to a brand-new head coach if they don't think – if you don't have a guy like Corey Williams on staff to, to, to build relationships fast and get these guys on the campus and get them into place. Um, the other thing I look at is can you hire people who do the things you don't? Um, and the biggest answer to that, again, being Barrett Peary, was brought in to help adjust the offensive system away from the motion. Now, what's interesting is Mark Adams has come later and said we're, he's gotten a lot more away from the idea of running a true up-tempo offense. That's because, as we'll get into, the roster just wasn't built to sustain that. But still, we're not running the motion. I, the, you have to have somebody who can help construct a brand new offense. Barrett Peary was brought in because of his knowledge of how, how to play an exciting offensive system. Uh, I, I, I am impressed immensely by the staff he brought, you know, brought in to Texas Tech. And especially, as Kendall mentioned, such a short notice. Um, you know, you got a guy like like Talvin Hester, who has tons of experience. Um, Daryl Dora is a is a tech favorite. He was played for night um, and then was a grad assistant during the 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 Elite Eight run. And he has been the last, spent the last couple of seasons at Austin P as a recruiting coordinator. And, you know, the, the, he's just another great, great example of, you know, you go and you find young, exciting guys to help you do the things you may struggle a bit more with, which it turns out, as I mentioned, Adams may not be, you know, a uh, soft on recruiting, but he definitely put a staff around him to support his efforts there. So, you know, the Beard went out and w- w- let's just face it. He went out and bought the best staff money could buy. He bought up as many head coaches as Texas would allow him to do. And he built his super staff. Um, I think that's too many cooks in one kitchen, but we'll find out. Adams didn't have that ability. You know, that just wasn't something Tech could do at this time, both from the fact that that's just an absurd amount of money to pay in basketball assistance. And secondly, there's just aren't that many head coaches who are going to come sign up for an experimental head coach's first time running a major program. Um, and instead, he went and he grabbed the best assistance I think Tech could buy. And I, I, I have no complaints on that end. And I'll, I'll open this question up for one more response if anybody wants it, and then we'll move into the actual roster. So Jack Kendall, or excuse me, Reed, Jack, who, which one of you wants to take this one? Take it, Reed. All right, I guess I'm taking it. Um, you know, honestly, I I don't know a whole lot of background uh, of the assistants you did hire. Uh, I do know that obviously um, – Corey Williams from Arkansas has got to be got to be a huge aspect just in terms of recruiting. Just of from what I know, he did at Arkansas. Um, I know he had to be a Muscleman's right hand man with a lot of stuff or a lot of guys that came in uh, to help to build that team that they had. Um, they obviously hadn't necessarily been bad at basketball, but they made a pretty noticeable jump uh, while he was there with the amount of talent they had on the roster. Um, I think he he had pretty good hand in getting some of the guys that we got this year, including O'Banner. Uh, possibly Bryson Williams. Um, they're, they're both going to be huge names for us this year. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm interested to see what the offense does as a whole. Uh, I've only really known motion offense since I've been a Tech fan, really, um, which is, I, I guess, is, is all right to see if it works. But uh, a lot of times there, there were spaces where that did not work out well at all for our team. Um, so I'll be interested interested to see what offense we run and how he uses uh, 
uh, each each player in in what role they'll they'll play in the offense um, uh, together with each other and what kind of lineups he ends up using. Uh, I also don't know. You guys might know um, who's going to be the one that that subs guys in and out because I know uh, Adams was the one that did that for Beard the last few years. So um, I'd be interested to see who's in charge of that and how that kind of plays into the offense and uh, what ways the coaching staff's going to have an effect on um, on how the offense works outside of uh, who's on the floor. Uh, I've, from what I've heard, I think uh, it's going to be a mix between uh, Sutton and Peary from what I've read. And I, I think that was more very early in the uh, hiring process when it comes to uh, the assistants. So it, it may be more defined now, but um, I think that uh, earlier when I read, I think I read it back in, you know, June or something that said that it was going to be a mix between Sutton and Peary. Yeah. And now that you mentioned it, I didn't, I completely forgot that Sutton uh, was still on the staff. I think that's a, that's a big time get for Adams just to keep him here. That's a really big name in college basketball, whether, um, you're t- talking in terms of coaching or, or uh, recruiting. Um, I think it's that's pretty big to, to keep him here and not letting Beard have him in Austin is uh, is big time for us. Yeah, it's just it, it, it. You don't think about it in college basketball as much as it is. It's really obvious in in, in football um, because you have you know your offensive defensive coordinator, and very rarely do you see head coaches you know, truly calling games for one unit or the other. It does happen. You know, Gary Patterson did it at TCU. Kingsbury's famous for it. Lincoln Riley. But more often than not, head coaches don't, you know, directly call the game to the same degree as as, as you'd expect. So you have truly defined coordinators. At, at the college ranks, you just you don't see it to the same degree where people think about what the role the assistant coach plays and how does the flow of the game work. Um, you know, Adams tended to be an extremely aggressive guy on defense. He really pushed Beard to focus on that side of the ball. You know, now he's the head man, and the guys who are filling him around him, Barrett Peary being who we think will probably end up as his right-hand man, we'll see. Um, you know, that's completely opposite. It was a guy who didn't emphasize defense at all at his last stop, but focused extremely intensely on the idea of fast-paced basketball. So we'll see on how that mixture plays out and what impact it has on 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 the flow of the game um, as we get into the thick of things. Can I can I add something real quick? Yeah, I, sure, go ahead. I love Peary's intensity. Not even in the game, just his social media presence. Man, he is all about Texas Tech in the short time that he's been here, and it's refreshing to see a coach that is so like in it and behind other sports. I mean, you know, he's supporting the football team, you know, he's at the, he's been at a couple of volleyball games. You know, I think I've seen him been that he's been at a soccer game here and there. So he's all over the place. And it seems that he uh, is truly falling in love with Lubbock and uh, all the uh, good things that come with it. So it's really refreshing to see like a coach. that's not even a head coach, uh, really start to enjoy the uh, kind of small town feel, but kind of with a bigger town atmosphere that Lubbock has. 
Yeah, I mean, it, we have had some interaction with Coach Perry on on Twitter. So have a lot of people. I mean, he's just all over Texas Tech, which I think was a big emphasis for Mark Adams as well, was to find guys who embrace this community as much as he has in the West Texas ID, identity. And I, I think Perry is as excited as I've ever seen any coach to get to work um, at, from an assistant standpoint. Those guys tend to be quieter, tend to be a bit more behind the scenes. And Perry's just really out there at the forefront, making it clear that, you know, he's he's going to give 110 percent to back this university, this community. And it, it's nice to see, you know, there are reasons why you do that after a guy like Beard comes in and really shakes up people's confidence and, and, and you know, trust in their coaches. Um, you know, you, you want a guy like that to kind of short the bases and make it clear, you know, like this is this is where I want to be right now. You don't need to worry. Um, which we always kind of had to worry about with Beard as much as we all, you know, wanted to believe he what he was saying. Um, I think that, that there's a real genuineness to how Coach Peary's embraced Lubbock. That, that's fun to see. So coaches are important. Mark Adams is going to be a big storyline. I guarantee you most tech games until, shit, three-fourths of the year are gone, they're going to spend most of the game talking about the coach in transition. So, we're not going to talk about it anymore because ESPN and all the anybody else, any other network we end up on, they're going to talk about it plenty for us. Let's look at the players who are actually going to be deciding this thing. And the first question I'll go to is kind of a curious one. We've had guys in the past who have really fit this role nicely, um, that being the six-man role, um, most notably being Kevin McCullough last year, really started coming out uh, uh, and TJ Shannon have played has done this role some. Brandon Francis was – perhaps the most famous six-man Tech has had in a while, being a guy who really came off the bench a lot during some of Tech's better runs. Um, this year, you're looking at a very deep bench. You know, this this is typical uh, a typical Tech bench over the last few years. You're probably going to be rotating eight or nine guys. Um, with that being said, who has the best chance of locking up that that true six-man role? You know, the guy who's the, the starter plus the spark plug, the guy you bring in who needs to be giving you, you know, somewhere between 8 to 12 points a game and 20 solid minutes. You know, who fills that role for Tech this season? I'll go to Kendall first with that question. Well, I think you have to look <clears throat> directly at the guy that started last year, you know, Marcus Santos Silva. I think he will start coming off the bench with uh, Kevin O'Banner and Bryson Williams. I think they'll be in the starting lineup. So I think a guy that has been a starter both at VCU and at Texas Tech is now going to be coming off the bench and possibly seeing, you know, some backup centers, some backup forwards that maybe aren't as nearly as experienced as him. And while he did struggle around the rim a lot last year, you know, that – I, I saw a lot from him at VCU to make me think that that was more of just an off year. Like he was a double double every night type of player at VCU. And I think coming off the bench at Tech, we're going to see a lot more of that side of him rather than what we saw last year where he wasn't a focal part of the offense, especially when he couldn't have the ball in his hands much, you know, because we had a lot of primary ball handlers on that team last year where. Now, if he comes off the bench, there's going to be a lot more guys, I think, that will look to get the ball inside to him more. So I think that ultimately he's going to gain the most this season. 
I, I tend to agree with that assertion just because I think that he's the guy whose spot is it wasn't taken per se, but Bryson Williams and Kevin O'Banner both offer you a lot more upside in a similar role. So I could see that. But what I'm curious about is does anybody think anybody other than Marco Santos Silva ends up in that six man role? Who who could else could we see there um this season? Uh I'll go. Um I really think that uh, you could see our one of our personal favorites here on the podcast, Adonis Arms. Um, you know, with Kevin McCullough all but calling his shot, saying that he was going to run the point this year, um, I, I kind of have a tendency to feel like Adonis Arms could be a huge person off to watch off the bench this year. Um, another one that kind of not so quietly made his name during the postseason run last year was Clarence Nadolny. Clarence Nadolny has been and kind of like an interesting guy on our roster for the past couple years. But I think last year uh, with his hustle on defense during the postseason run, I think that uh, Clarence Nadolny could have a huge season coming off the bench, maybe not in a sixth man, so to speak, but definitely in like, you know, like you said, we're going to be rotating eight or nine guys. I think that he brings a definite uh, edge off the bench that a lot of people can uh, get behind and rally behind. And Reed, you're the last one up on that question. If you don't have another answer, it's all right. But who is your sixth man? Uh, yeah, I've actually got kind of a few guys. I'm trying to bounce around here. Uh, I think there's quite a few options because obviously there's only five guys that are going to start. So. I think you pretty much got a full five that can go in right behind that first one uh, and give you nearly just as good as playing time as those first ones will. Um, I'll kind of go out on a limb here. I think uh, I could I could see Agbo um, being kind of a surprise this year. Obviously, I know he's got a lot more competition for playing time than I originally thought he was going to um, coming into the year after Beard left and a bunch of the guys on the roster left. Um but I think Agbo will take a step up for sure. Um, if not him, I'll kind of go with another guy that people aren't talking about a whole lot is uh, K.J. Allen. Um, for those of you guys who didn't watch the uh, Last Chance U series, he was an integral part about that uh, of that program. Um, you know, he's honestly kind of undersized in terms of height for his, his position, but he's, he's a very big body. I think he's going to uh, make, some, make some room for us down low. It'll be a good one-two punch. Coming off the bench with Silva, um, you know, I'm interested to see how he transitions from the school he was at to the Big 12. Um, but, I mean, honestly, like I said, there's a handful of guys that I think are uh, in a running for a six-man position this year, and I think all of them can fill that role. Uh, just We just got to wait and see which one kind of takes the reins on that. And I kind of want to piggyback yeah, off of well, that. I'll, Kendall, I oh. want to ask you something real quick. How are you feeling about Davion Warren? I've just been interested to hear your take on him and how he can fit into this scheme. I was kind of biting my tongue on that because he, I could see him in the starting lineup very easily. Like what people don't realize, he was a top five scorer in the nation last year. And understandably so, it was at a mid-major school in Hampton, but he was scoring more than 20 points every single game, no matter who he was lining up against. And he's doing it by... Not by shooting, he's getting to the rim every single time. And I think if you can do that successfully at the mid-major level, 
I think that is one thing that will carry over up to, you know, the major conference. And personally, I would not be shocked whatsoever if he's uh, our leading scorer this year by the end of the year because he he's under the radar right now. But if the way he plays, he he gets into the paint. We have shooters that can be you know out there like Calhoun. You can have McCullers worked a lot in his three this summer. T.J. Shannon, you know he's gotten much better from three. We have guys that can hit the three ball. And O'Banner with Warren in there being able to dish to those types of guys, I think that, you know, this offense has a lot bigger chance of being impactful with him because I just don't think we've had, like, a pure scorer like him since either, personally, I think Culver or Evans because I think that's how good he is at getting downhill and getting to the rim as a guard, especially as a six-foot-six guard. Let's put that in writing. I'm I I love that take, but let's let's get that in writing because I'm actually interested. I, I I did notice that he averaged over 20 points a game, and uh, but that's a real that's a real nice take. I like that. You know you know what's kind of wild to think about with these mid major guys coming up is uh, Kevin Obenor and Warren were guys who were that they were focuses for their team, right? You know a, a, everything flowed through them. Um, for instance, I would be hazard. I would hazard to say that Oral Roberts doesn't make the NCAA tournament at all without Obenor, and I don't think that's not like a hot take to say that. You well, got yeah, a guy would, in well, Adonis and, Arms, by the way. Yeah, and wouldn't you think that about pretty much all other than other than Adonis Arms? I mean, probably everyone. I mean, you look at Bryson Williams. Uh, he was the vocal focal point for UTEP. I mean, so you got a lot of those guys. Where I think a good amount of these guys have only had the uh, the offense flows through me role, you know? Yeah, which is going to be a huge transition for everybody. Um, with really looking at this roster here, guys who didn't necessarily have that role were the guys who were here um, because they're used to, to, you know, TJ being the guy. Um, Ethan Duncan, who was in high school, and Sadar Calhoun, I would say. Because he was he was basically a specialist for Florida State, but the guy who also falls into that not by his own fault was Adonis Arms. Um, he, he played at a mid major who had the philosophy of a of a, a a platoon style system. You played, you know, five seven minutes whatever, and he rotated in a fresh five. That hurt Adonis Arms' number, guys. If you watch his film, and he he is a podcast favorite. We talked to him, and we did ask him this question, and he did a very diplomatic job of not saying, you know, the quiet part, which is it hurt him that he didn't get the minutes he probably should have. You know, there's a reason why I can't name anybody else on that roster with him, yet he played the same minutes as any of those guys. I think he was limited to 20 minutes a game out there, which is ridiculous at the mid-major level, level to believe that you're going to take a guy like Arms out. So that, that uh, I, I think that Adonis Arms is a guy who you could really – carve out a six-man role if Marcus Santos Silva, you know, either doesn't have it or, you know, isn't really getting the PT necessary. I think Arms is a guy who's going to be expected to come in there, and I don't know if they'll make him a true point guard. I don't know if they're just going to like him more as a as a, as a shooting guard. I don't know if he can be a true facilitator um, to the degree that they're asking McCuller to be, and they'll ask Warren to be when he's on the court with him. Um, but I think Adonis Arms is going to be the guard who comes in that is expected to dispel, you know, some of your guys um, and, and keep the offense moving. And we, his tape is limited, but it's 
it's pretty something to watch how explosive he is. Um, but with the question of six-man begs the question, who the hell is going to start anyways? Since we've talked a lot about who might just be first off the bench, it's much more important, I think, to also consider um, who's going to start out on the game. So I'm going to open this up again. Just whoever wants to go first, feel free to hop in. But your projected starting five, or if you'd rather, the starting five you like best. Uh, I'll jump in uh, just so Kendall can prove how possibly insane uh, this starting five is. Obviously, I feel like your uh, your givens in the starting five are going to be obviously TJ Shannon and uh, McCuller. Uh, I really like the idea of McCuller running the point. Uh, he said in an interview that he grew up playing point and that's what he was going to play this year. So uh, I'm pretty si- I'm pretty stoked to see that. Um, I also think Bryson Williams is probably, uh, for me at least, uh, he's a super senior. He went to UTEP, led them in points, I believe. Um so I, I think that you could make a you could easily make a case for Bryson Williams. Uh, he's played a lot of the teams that Tech is gonna go up against, just in non-conference stuff at UTEP. Um, I also think, like we just talked about in the last question, you know, I I don't see why Davion Warren wouldn't be in there. Uh, one of the top point getters in the country uh, across the board. Um, then you have guys like O'Banner, uh, Calhoun. Uh, I mean, and then you get into like Santos Silva. I mean, we haven't really talked about much about Malik Wilson. Malik Wilson was a huge get also for this staff. So uh, you this this is really, I think, one of the first times in uh, looking at tech basketball where you really didn't have that set starting five that it could kind of go either way here and there. I mean, you have and you you have legitimately seven to eight guys on this roster that could contend for a starting spot. Um, I think, like I said, I think really the only two guys in my mind that have maybe three that have th- a starting position locked up are going to be T.J. Shannon, McCuller, and probably uh, uh, O'Banner. Um, I think anywhere from there. I mean. I like, as Kendall said, I like Davion Warren in that starting lineup. I like Bryson Williams also. Um, and then you have other people. I mean, you have Marco Santos Silva, Adonis Arn. I mean, you have a lot of people that could very easily insert themselves into a starting role depending on their play uh, throughout the season. I think that first game against North Florida is going to be a huge tell i think you're gonna see a lot of guys rotating and a lot of different fives uh trying to match up with each other just to see which uh players kind of interact in a game situation and uh have a good flow but for me if you were to ask me today it's november 2nd as we're recording this i would say tj shannon uh o'banner probably davion warren uh mcculler and probably Bryson Williams would be my starting five to start out. I take kind of, I take the position that this is, I don't know if this is a problem, but this feels like the first time that I really don't know at all what lineup the staff is going to end up preferring. 
you know, a lot of beard teams the last few years have had this sense where you didn't know what pieces you had to plug in together to get them work to work. I think the problem here is I think there are a lot of pieces that could fit together and work. So it's just about maximizing it. You know, there were some beard lineups in the past that when he's when we the last two years that the lineups he was running out there just sucked. I mean, they just didn't work at all together. I don't think there's any combination of most of these cats that you can put out there where you don't see some level of success. I think the question becomes, how does the staff want to attack? Um, you have some true size. You know, you have Bryson Williams, Kevin Obernor, Marcus Santos Silva. If you want to play bigger, you can play. You can also, by the way, we haven't mentioned him yet. And the only reason why we haven't mentioned him is because he's just a super under the radar guy. That's Daniel Bacho, by the way. Um, he was a guy who, if he had not been hurt, probably would be on everybody's radar as a draft prospect this year. He was the top overall prospect coming out of Europe, came to Arizona and was hurt. So we haven't seen a lot of him. So you have a lot of, you can go, he's a true probably center. So you can go big with, if, if he pans out, you know, Bryson Williams, another big guy, Kevin Obernor, strong forward, power forward kind of guy. Uh, Marco Santos Silva in that same vein, more of an inside player. You can also play small, a lot of lengthy guards. You could put up a, line, a lineup more along the lines of, you know, McCuller, Warren, uh, uh, Sadars Calhoun, uh, Arms, and then Marco Santos Silva slash Obanor to, 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 to balance out your lineup. You want to play a bit smaller. Um, I'm not certain which way Mark Adams want to go. Um, I believe I mentioned this earlier, but he started out the year being, uh, the, the, the process being very adamant Tech was going to play a lot faster. Hence why you kind of see Barrett Peary brought in, you know, in more recent interviews, he's talked a lot about the fact that with the length and athleticism of the tees and the size, it just makes more sense to play, you know, more inside out, you know, attack in the paint, attack with your explosive guards, KJ Allen, another guy, you can get out there to do this kind of stuff. There's just a lot of length. And that doesn't necessarily mean that these guys couldn't run a more fast paced offense. It just, it seems to suit them more to get a bit bigger you know, get a bit bigger and play a bit more of a banging style of offense. So assuming that I'm right in this assertion that that is the best way to go, the lineup I like the best. You know, you know McCullough is going to be your primary facilitator. You know Terrence Shannon Jr. is going to be all over the board. And you know Warren is going to be that two guard to help out. Um, I think at number three you put in Bryson Williams. And I think you go Evan Obanor at, you know, um, you, you he, dry, he rounds out the roster. Um, and the reason why I think that you go with this kind of lineup is because with Williams and Obanor, I think that gives you a, two really good guys who can play Williams less open Obanor in particular inside, and then they can step out and take some shots. I think you got Warren McCuller and Shannon who can all, you know, drive and penetrate. And um, I think that if there's been any point of emphasis we know of, it's that McCuller and Shannon have been spent a lot of this offseason trying to pick up a three-point shot. And from all the reports, they've started to develop it a bit more. So I think that you're just going to see the best thing that Tech can do is play with a little bit more size. And then you could see a, a world in which um, um, you know Warren takes a breather and Marco Santos Silva comes in, and you really try to bang people. I don't think Tech is inclined to go that big, but I just think that the the – the strength of this team is stacked around the ability to beat the ever living, you know what out of teams. And I think that that starts by playing, you know, some combination of Williams, Obanor and Silva at all times with Daniel Bacho being that, you know, developmental candidate that we hope pans out 
to to be a, a, to, to give you like a true center. So that that's kind of where I'm leaning on. You know, what lineup I'd like to see or kind of expect to see. Um, you know, I agree with most of that, <clears throat> but here's one problem I can see kind of coming up later in the season or at any point this season is if O'Banner gets in foul trouble at any point, I do not think that Santos Silva and Bryson Williams will be able to play together. I just think that both of them are too paint dominating. I feel like both of them can kind of branch it out, but it's definitely not going to be your most efficient offense. Williams has shown in the past he can shoot the three, but it's not a strong suit of his. He shot at like 30% or below his whole career at UTEP. So I think that that could be where a problem comes in because I also don't think you can play KJ Allen with either of those guys. I think that O'Banner is the one that you can play with those guys, but I don't think those guys can play together because I just think that there's only room as far as in college basketball with spacing, there's only room for one big guy down there in the paint. And I think the reason O'Banner is going to be so damn good here is because he shoots the three ball at such a good percentage that while he can go into the paint and be a paint beast, he can also come out and just be a sharpshooter when he needs to be. And he's the one that can run that, you know, the pick and pop while also having a guy like Williams or Santos Silva on the bench. And I think ultimately that's why I think O'Banner and Williams are both given starters. Cause I think when it comes down to Williams versus Santos Silva, I think as of right now, everything points to Williams being the better player and being a better fit with the guys like McCuller and Shannon. So I think that those four are actually more of a lock. I would say Williams, O'Banner, McCuller, and Shannon. And what it comes down to is that other guard spot, essentially. And you can really slate in Warren, Arms, uh, Wilson, Agbo, Nadolny. It's all a matter of you know what you want. And Nadolny has shown, actually, last year, he did show that he can handle the ball if he needs to. So I think that that is something that, could be shown later on. I think Nadolny could end up in the starting lineup before it's all before the season's done with. So I would say to start the season, I my bet would probably go to Warren filling that fifth spot with McCuller, Shannon, uh, Williams, and O'Banner. But look out for Nadolny to possibly fill a spot at some point in the season. Yes, Frenchie. Yes. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm about on the same page as Kendall here. I think. I think there's four guys that I don't want to say are a lock uh, from a coaching staff standpoint, but for me, I think there's no way you don't start uh, the four of McCuller, Shannon, O'Banner, and Bryson Williams, um, leaving the two spot open for whoever one of the other five guards you want to stick in there. Um, if I just take a shot in the dark as to who would take that right out of the gate, I might just say Sidar Calhoun, based primarily just off of uh, Power Five experience. Um, he played at Florida State. He's got a lot of um, big time game experience against powerhouses in the ACC uh, that could help him right out of the gate. Um, but I could definitely see that getting shuffled around at some point. Uh, kind of what Kendall said. I think O'Banner's uh, uh, a one one of a kind kind of guy. You got to stretch for uh, a lot of your other posts are really not considered stretch fours. I don't think. Um, I'm not sure how well Bryson Williams can shoot the ball, but I know K.J. Allen and 
and Silver are, are guys that are going to live in the paint offense, offensively and defensively. Um, and I think uh, a guy like like Davion Warren that can score the ball so well, you're going to want somebody off the bench that can uh, immediately come in and score uh, with fresh legs. So I think for now, I'd, I'd keep him on the bench and see what the the five with uh, the four main guys with Calhoun could do um, just out of the gate. But like I said, uh, there's plenty of other options there. Even if you want to go small and take O'Banner off the bench and slide TJ Shannon down to a four, you could slide another guard in there if you want to do that. Um, I could see Adams kind of playing some match ball with uh, depending on which team we're playing and uh, kind of play with lineups that way too. Two guys we haven't talked a lot about is Clarence Naldoni and Ogbo. Um, and both of those two guys I just see getting muscled out. So I uh, of everyone, because there's so many different ways the staff could take the direction of the team. If I'm if I'm a guy on Tex roster right now kind of worrying about PT, I think it's those two guys who have the most to be concerned about. Ethan Duncan obviously being the third guy who should really be worried, but I don't think Ethan has you know a belief that he's going to get much playing time right away either. Um, I don't. I think that Ogbo and Naldoni both been around the program now for a few years. Ogbo has got some experience on the Nigerian national team, going to try to to, to play for them. Naldoni now has gotten you know significant playing time over the course of his career, not necessarily in any one game, but he's now played enough where I can say he is a seasoned Power Five guy. It's kind of unfortunate, but I think there's just so much talent in the guard spot. Sadar Calhoun being, you know, a guy who muscles out Agbo and Adonis Arms and uh, Wilson being guys who kind of box out Maldoni. Um, you know, those two guys I could see maybe breaking into the rotation late, but I think to start um, that they'll have some issues breaking on to, onto the scene. Um, this, this may be unconventional, but I figure I might throw this out there. Looking at the roster, I don't see a red shirt in front of either of those guys. Now, I'm not suggesting it at all, but I'm saying what's to keep them from red shirting and including Ethan Duncan. I mean, Ethan Duncan's young. He's 18 years old. He's a true freshman. So what what's to keep those guys from red shirting and staying another year? I mean, other than the fact that they're not going to get as much PT as they want. I think the uh, issue that, I think Duncan will, but I think, uh, you know, Nadoni and Ogbo, they, uh, they've been here the whole off season. I think that, um, ultimately since they have experience, I think that early in the season, they could be getting, you know, the tip of the hat over some other players until, you know, that we start to see a little more consistency in lineups. So I think that, I personally think that Nadolny and Ogbo could carve out well pretty big roles for themselves. I can also see them kind of falling behind, though, because these guys are experienced that are ahead of them, and they have, you know, at their past schools, there's 20-point-per-game scores. We have, uh, you know, Wilson was just uh, the Sun Belt freshman of the year. Like, there are – there is a lot of talent. I can see it going either way, but I don't think – I just think because of the opportunity of playing time that those two probably wouldn't look to redshirt, especially because the roster is already kind of thin when it comes to, you know, if there starts to be some lingering injuries or anything, I don't know that there's a lot of options. So I think that they would be very hesitant to redshirt them just in general. 
I, I just think the other part of this is just you're not gonna those two guys are gonna be what Avery Benson I think was to the program in the past. They're guys that Mark Adams will rely on to either amp up the energy or calm the team down. You know, because there's there are guys who have been in the program who are experienced who are going to be fresh legs to come in at critical moments. Because that's all Maldoni's really ever done, by the way. I mean, like he's never been a serious role player. He's always been a guy that's brought in to play extremely hard for a few minutes, then get back on the bench. Um, Ogbo being a guy who's gotten basically no serious playing time because his streaky shooting um, hurt his upside in previous seasons. But um, I, I don't mean to suggest that these guys won't get any PT, but I just think that as we go through the season, I think there's just a clear skill gap between Sidar Calhoun and um, Buzo, who you know would fill a similar role. They're not necessarily the most explosive guards in the world, but they're known for kind of shooting the lights off. And I think that there's just so many lengthy guards to play defense that a guy like Naldoni, who doesn't have really an offensive game, you know, he doesn't have much of an offensive arsenal. I think he's really going to struggle to find a spot. Now that gets thrown out the window. If Kevin McCuller can't run the point, if you have to find another facilitator, you know, a guy like Naldoni who may not necessarily be the world's best offensive player, he may have to step in and be, you know, your, your, your backup facilitator. But, um, it's, it's just, uh, the, the, the roster this year is funny because there's just so much length. You know, there's length across the board that uh, it's hard to say which direction the team wants to go. What I do want to kind of, at least for now, pose a question that I think is, um, this is the closest we'll get to touching true preseason rankings. And the question I want to ask to kind of wind us down is, you know, just where you sit right now. You know, where, where you're personally sitting, where do you think Tech falls in the Big 12 hierarchy? And um, you can base this off of, you know, uh, without, like, just on paper, or you can base it on where you think they'll end up on the year, however you want to take that question. But, you know, from where you're sitting, where is Tech right now? Uh, I'll jump in first. Uh, I think Tech is in the upper, middle to middle upper tier. Uh, I think there are some tiers uh, talent wise, or maybe just overall in, in the big 12 right now, I think Kansas and Baylor are at the top by themselves. Those two are pretty much in the upper echelon. And the only reason I put Baylor up there is just because they won a national championship. Um, I think that beneath that you have a couple teams. You have, probably Texas, uh, Texas tech. And like I said, I, as we've mentioned, we don't really care about preseason rankings and I really don't, again, this is our explicit podcast coming in. I really don't give a shit that Chris Beard has Texas ranked number five overall in the country to go into this. The last game I saw Texas play, they lost to Abilene Christian. So that's the last Texas team that I've seen. So as far as I know, that's the caliber of team they are. Um, I do know, you know, Chris Beard didn't build Texas Tech from nothing. So, uh, you know, he has his own thing. But uh, and he did do a lot of good for Texas Tech and Lubbock. Um, but at the same time, you know, I feel like uh, – 
definitely Candace and Baylor are in the in a spot on their own, and then Tech and Texas are kind of in that upper uh, middle afterwards. Well, and I'll be honest, the one year at Tech that I felt Beard actually had any expectations, I I think that team shit the bed. Like they were not consistent whatsoever. And I think that's why, you know, tech coming in under the radar looks a lot better than I'm, I would rather be in tech's position right now, as far as coming in under the radar with all these new transfers and stuff, rather than in Texas's position of where they're at right now and being in the top five with a lot of players who've never played together. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Are you referring to the Ramsey year? Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. I was just making sure, but yeah, I mean, that's what I, that's what I'm think that tech lives. I mean, I, for, for once, I kind of think that the big 12 preseason poll got it right somewhat. Um, I think they kind of disrespected Baylor a little bit, but I know that uh, there's some stuff going on in that program, you know, a lot of moving and uh, players gone, players staying all that. But I think, I think in my mind, just over the past couple of years, Kansas and Baylor kind of not head and shoulders, but definitely head above everyone else. And then I think you have teams like Texas and Tech. Um, you know, if you want to add West Virginia in there, kind of, eh, not really. Um, I, I mean, I really don't know who else you could put up there in that top four, maybe Oklahoma. But like you said, you lost – you lost Manic and uh, Long Kruger's gone. I know Porter Moser is going to do a fantastic job just because he's a fantastic coach. But um, you know, I I don't really know uh, until we see a couple games. I kind of think this is kind of a, a wide open thing. I'm really interested to hear what your guys' thoughts are on this. Um, but like I said, I I think that there's a definite break in between Texas Tech and. Kansas and Baylor right now at this point in time. So when you look at Baylor, for one, I think it, it can't be undersaid what a job Scott Drew has done at Baylor. Um, I, I like to talk a lot about this, you know, improbable turnarounds in sports. It's a fun topic. There are a lot to name. Um, you know, you can look close to home at Tadlock. Um, you can look uh, at Iowa State with Matt Campbell. You can look at um, Coastal Carolina with Jeremy Ch- Caldwell. Um, you know, the, the, across sports, across everything, there's these coaches who just have, like, insane turnarounds. You never could have predicted it. If you're not familiar with Baylor basketball history before Scott Drew, holy shit. Like, I, I mean, they did about everything possible wrong, including what has to be one of the wildest scandals to happen at, at, at this level. And, um, you know, Scott Drew has made that program – so good for so long that it's hard to not do anything other than give this team the benefit of the doubt. You know, he returned a lot. He's got key pieces back. There's still a ton of talent on that team. They're so well coached coming off the national title. It's hard to think that they won't be in the upper two. Kansas is just immensely talented this year under Bill Self. You know, the, the last couple of years, I think Kansas teams haven't been necessarily, you know, the streak level dominant that they kind of had been during, you know, that run. But this year, I think that the, the talent gap between Kansas and anybody else in the Big 12 is real. 
Um, and that's including, by the way, Texas, who we'll get to here in a sec. But I think, you know, as long as Bill Self doesn't screw this up, Kansas is going to finish in the top three of the conference. And Bill Self is a Hall of Fame coach, so I can't imagine him screwing this one up. Um, as for are those two just head and shoulders better than the rest? I think if you're going to give anybody the preseason benefit of the doubt of being like, you know, uh, the the uh, uh, the 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 true big boys, y- you do give it to Kansas and Baylor. There's a pattern, sustained success, great coaches. Baylor coming off the national title, Kansas of all the talent in the world. I think those two just are better than the rest of the conference, and I think the rest of the conference will be playing catch up. Um, you know that every year in the Big Twelve, we think we know, we've got it figured out, and somebody makes a run, but those two should get the benefit of the doubt. As for where Tech falls. Um, Look, I mean, it, it It should pain everybody to accept this, but Chris Beard built an insanely talented team at, at UT. Now, do I think those guys are going to want to run the motion offense how he wants to run it? No. Do I think that those guys are going to like sharing the ball with each other? No. Could I see the wheels falling off? Yeah. But if you're just, we, we, we can't assume, you know, disaster when Chris Beard did nothing but really win consistently at Tech. Like Kendall said, though, some of the Chris Beard teams that were, expected to do something last few years were inconsistent. They didn't mesh. They struggled. So we'll see in Austin, but I think you, you, at least to start Texas falls in that second tier until we see for sure, whether or not the experiment, you know, going to go which way or the other, it's not fair to assume right off the back that, that that Texas isn't going to be good. I think that in this tier with them, I think tech's right there. And I think West Virginia needs to be right there. Um, I think those three teams are going to be in, in a battle for, uh, uh, that, that three spot in the conference, which who probably, by the way, gets a three seed. So it's going to be very important for NCAA seeding that tech wins that battle. I think they're capable of doing it. I think Mark Adams is one of the few basketball coaches that you can say has changed how college basketball is played. You know, the no middle is now probably other than, um, pack line at Virginia or, Press Virginia, which hasn't been run in a couple seasons, but you know it's it's as distinct as those major defenses. So I think that you know I think Tech has a chance to really get that spot. But they're right behind them is going to be West Virginia, and leading out to start is going to be Texas. You know those are they're going to be their running buddies. I think Oklahoma State, Oklahoma is that next tier down. Those two bedlam rivalries are going to be you know bedfellows to start the year. They're going to be battling out to try to break into the upper ground. Either one of them could make a run, but I think Mike Boyton and uh, is going to have a, a harder job selling me personally without some results that he's, you know, you know, hell bound for the top five. So that that's why I've got them there. And then this is the first time I think we can say this in a while. TCU, Kansas State, and Iowa State just suck, right? Iowa State in particular. You know, we talk, I talk about improbable turnarounds. Talk about improbable collapses. I mean, they're just hysterically bad now. And that, that I don't think anybody would have seen coming a few years ago that they would just be so bad that it's universally agreed basically that they will finish last in conference um, with Kansas state, maybe racing them for the bottom. TCU's just doesn't have enough, you know, really to worry me. Micah Peavy's probably going to be their best player. I think most of those teams, Kansas state, TCU and Iowa state, I think two out of three are going to be changing coaches. So that's my breakdown um, with where I'm at. Uh, I just kind of want to, I, not that I would ever really like compliment Iowa State, but I will say after f- getting rid of Prome, which 
I guess since I've kind of seen it, I've paid a little more attention to their program the past couple of years. I think that Prome, as good of a recruiter as he was, was a very bad in-game coach. And I think that the coach that they just went and got with TJ Otzelberger, I think that he is going to, like, I think within the next couple of years, he's going to be able to turn some stuff around just because he was there with Hoiberg. He knows what works. And I just think Prome, his biggest downfall was he was with Hoiberg's guys for the first couple of years of his career with uh, with Monte Morris. He had Niang for a couple of years and then kind of all of his players kind of fizzled out. And then he got, he did get uh, Halliburton and Horton Tucker there, but ever since then they haven't really been getting the big name guys and they've fizzled out because of it. But as far as just the rankings, I completely agree with both of you as the fact that I think Kansas and Baylor are very top tier, but I would say Texas is a little closer to that top tier than I think that West Virginia, Tech, and even OU and Oklahoma State are. But then I completely agree with the bottom half. I do think Kansas State, with their experience, could surprise a couple people, maybe finish above TCU. And since we don't really know what to expect out of OSU, I think they could possibly, you know, start to take some jumps. But I ultimately agree with just about everything you guys said. I have a question real quick, Kendall, also. Uh, with with the consensus being that Kansas and Texas are at the top of this, do you think that Kansas, you know, they're bringing back McCormick, uh, Ochai Abaji, uh, you know, Mitch Lightfoot's coming back for his eighth year on campus. Um, so uh, do you think they can keep up with like a Texas style roster? You know, I know Texas got, um, Marcus Carr and, uh, you know, Andrew Jones, uh, one of the better feel good stories in college basketball coming back from cancer. Um, you know, Courtney Ramey, I feel like he's also been there for about eight years. Uh, so do you think that, do you think that Texas and Kansas can, I guess uh, my question is, do you think it's just strictly a knockout battle between Texas and Kansas for that top spot? And, uh, you know, how, what, if you've looked at their rosters, do that, how do they kind of compare to keep up with each other? Well, I think that KU, while they kept a lot of their players, they still got Remy Martin and Joseph Yesifu. And, People haven't really talked about that Yesifu edition much, but they forget, like back in the NCAA tournament, he put Drake on his back in that play-in game against Wichita State, and he showed his ability to take over a game to make shots from three, be really aggressive in the paint. He showed a lot of different uh, versatility, and I think the fact that he could be their eighth or ninth guy just shows the depth that Kansas has. But also, I think that the talent that Texas has, because outside of Avery Benson, I think just about every single one of Texas's guys is legit. And I think that all of those guys could go off on any given night. So they have the talent, but I think with Kansas's experience and Baylor's experience, I think that those two could kind of just take over because at the end of the day in the Big 12, you don't you cannot like simulate that. And I think that could impact Texas and even Tech, you know, down the road. Like, you cannot simulate – you can't – 
experience, you have to experience the big 12 road to really know how brutal it is. And I think that that could get both Texas and tech down the line, you know, versus these other experienced teams that have guys that have played the full schedule, like West Virginia, KU, uh, and even teams like K state and TCU, they could get us once because they're just more experienced than tech is and Texas. And, I think it's going to create for a really fun conference season, though. Yeah, so, I mean, like, my thing with Kansas is just what what I – Kansas is one of those schools that pisses everybody off for the simple reason it doesn't matter how flagrantly it seems that Bill Self has skirted the NCAA rules. These kids keep getting paid, so it, you know, keep signing up. Uh, I – Oh, we retained, you know, a bunch a bunch of surefire talent. Well, you know who's going to join that surefire talent? That kid that we gave like a, a stack of cash stuffed into a bag with a money sign on it. I mean, it's just it doesn't seem to matter what the NCAA does or how much it sniffs around Kansas. Nothing's ever come of it. So I, I can't fault for these kids for getting paid. All I'm saying is just, you know, if, if Bill Self can get away with it, you know, surely somebody else could in the conference, too. Well, look at Mike Boynton. Mike Boynton got cake. Uh, Don't ever overlook the fact that Mike Boynton hired, was it Cade Cunningham's dad or his brother? Uh, To be, I think it was his brother, to be an assistant coach on his staff after he was, while in the middle of recruiting Cade Cunningham. So don't ever overlook that. Oh, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. One of the things I want to point out is, anybody else wondering how the fuck Chris Beard convinced like five guys who would normally all go to individual schools and be the man, how he convinced those kids, like, it's okay to share all of a sudden. Yeah, like, we're, we're real, real transparent there, Texas. Like A guy like Devin Askew is not leaving Kentucky to go to Texas with three to four other guys that are averaging 20 points unless he's getting something out of it. Like, I, you can't convince me otherwise. Bingo. Well, it just, it, I, I just, I don't understand how this stuff happens so blatantly you mean like the the ncaa is looking for somebody to hoist up as the poster child for don't cheat or we're going to punish you and they they we get the the blue bloods are just daring them to pick one of them to do it texas isn't in that group but that's another like these big money programs are just daring these the ncaa to act and that's why i get so frustrated that kansas does this every year don't get me wrong. Bill Self, Kansas, they're going to recruit great no matter what. But there, it just remains to be said that how many programs could survive the kind of scrutiny they've gotten over the last year and a half? How many programs could have the, the behavioral issues they've had both on and off the court that KU's had without any impact at all to anything they're doing in the recruiting rankings? I mean, I Duke, think, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Jarrett Howard is a real key factor in that. And it doesn't surprise me at all in the slightest that Chris Beard was able to poach him from Kansas. And then as soon as he comes to Texas, uh, you start getting in this same little, you know, niche that Kansas was in with all these other uh, people. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. So I think Jaren's Howard is a, I'm not calling him a bad person or anything, but it's it's sus to me to say the least. 
And I don't want to say that, like, I have a problem necessarily that these kids are getting paid. I just mean it to the degree that, like, if we're going to pay these kids, you know, so blatantly, so flagrantly, then why the hell is everybody worried about, like, what the NIL stuff is doing? Because, you know, we're already have to be dumping fat stacks of cash at these major programs to get these kids in. So what? why, why am I going to be worried if, like, the backup center signs a deal with like a barbecue joint or the, you know, your left tackles third option in football, your third string guy is going to sign a deal with some random um, burger hut. Like why, why is this the concern for the NCAA? Why did they waste so much money lobbying this with Kansas and Texas can pretty much do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, it, that's, it, it there I, I don't believe this kind of recruiting success, especially at Texas happens above board. There's just no way you can convince me that this stuff is happening legally. I, Kansas has a history of it, so we just kind of all know Nike's shelling out money to get kids at Kansas. Oh, well, that's happening in a bunch of Blue Blood schools and a bunch of programs at Nike, Adidas. Under Armour, these guys have Ad, ties at. Yeah, Adidas. Uh, at, Adidas, at, sorry. Adidas at Kansas, yeah. Um, but the, 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 the Texas one in particular is another one where I, I just don't get it. Because it just doesn't make any sense to me that the NCAA is going to overlook this crap. Because it's not like Texas is known as the place that keeps secrets. You know, we found out that that monkey bit that kid in like five minutes. That's in the middle of somebody's just block party at Halloween. Not even the Texas head coach or player. An assistant coach. A recruiter that most would never have heard of and if his name wasn't kind of in the running for Wazoo. But we knew his monkey had a problem in five minutes. Yet you're telling me nobody knows why these ball handlers, these guys who are primary ball handlers, all agreed to play together. You know, something that never happens in, in, in AAU or college ranks, that all these kids are just like, yeah, I'll take less minutes and points. Sure. I... I uh, I'm gonna hop off my soapbox. We close out this episode. Well, let me let me let me hop on your soapbox for a second. I do promise at least a thirty second to one minute explanation of this in our next Hub City Homers podcast about the uh, Texas special team coach and his. I don't know if it's his fiance, girlfriend, new wife, whatever, and her pet monkey. Because I do want to, I do want to address this very much. I've been following it all week, and it's giving me a very decent uh, laugh throughout our coaching search. So I will promise a bit of a segment on that. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to have monkey time. If this wasn't the basketball podcast, we would have dedicated a significant amount of portion to monkey time, as I think most of the nation would have. We'll be getting don't that forget later. about Pole Assassin in there too. That I that whole story is just ridiculous. Like I saw that this morning, and I I follow a lot of like Iowa State people, and since they play Texas this week, I, I've heard their student section is looking forward to buying a bunch of monkey costumes and stuff. So I think that'll Bananas. be a great game to watch. I would I would I would uh, describe the story as bananas, no pun intended, or actually full full pun intended. Yeah, I, I, we're, I, I don't want to get too much into it now and ruin the fun later, but all I'm going to say is when I read that story, um, I saw it first as like one tweet from just a random um, guy on the Viva the Matadors feed that we followed, you know, uh, I, I think it might have been even a former writer um, who, who was followed on the site, just talking about a monkey 
and I had no idea what was happening. So I just put my phone down. I came back to a couple hours later and saw that. And uh, it, it, if we don't get a thirty for thirty about the monkey, I'll be a little disappointed. So well, yeah, and I, I threw it. I threw it in the Slack chat. Also, I was I was like, hey, y'all, I hope y'all have seen this because this needs to be a topic. Yeah, I mean, it's just we're, we're going to get into that party late because we needed to do basketball first. You know, we got to prioritize the primer. But if this wasn't a thing, if basketball was another week out, um, there's no doubt this just probably would have been at least 10 minutes of monkey time. So, you know, look forward to that when we get to our next bye week, our, our, our next week episode previewing the Iowa State Cyclones, because honestly, football is so depressing. I want to talk about it as little as possible. So we're going to close out here. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed our analysis. Uh, or, or if you think we left something out, feel free to reach out. We are now fully transitioning kind of our brains to basketball season. We'll be recording as often as we can really with basketball season. Don't expect as regular of a, you know, post-game podcast recap preview, especially during the non-conference era, but you should still see us once a week, maybe even twice a week. So always suggest content to us. You know, if you've got topics you want us to hit up, things you like, things you don't like, let us know. Um, this has been the Hub City Homers. It was great to have Reed back. I'm here with Kendall and Jack as well. Um, Reed will be joining us for all of our future podcasts on the basketball side as the schedule allows. Uh, once football's done, you'll be hearing a lot more from Reed. So good, good that we were able to get the whole team together for this one, though, tonight. Uh, we are recording this as of Tuesday. We're finished up at 9.17. So, you know, this time next week, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have basketball across the country. So looking forward to it. Wreck them and have a good weekend, y'all.